Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Mike, and I'm joined today by a special guest, Pastor Jeremy Glowicki from Jordan, Minnesota, who has come to my house, um, and we're going to talk uh, Luther, beer, and ministry, and we're just going to see what happens. So Pastor Glowicki is an award-winning, <laughs> an award-winning brewer, and so we'll talk about that a little bit, but it, there'll be some theological content as well. Um, I really wanted to be out in the backyard to get kind of the beer garden feeling, because uh, he did bring his Luther beer every year. He does a, a Luther beer. Um, and I woke up this morning to a flight pattern from Milwaukee International Airport that uh, was not going to be conducive to recording outside, but I I did it anyway. So uh, I don't know if we can edit it out or not, but if there is a very large airplane um it's, we're close enough that you can wave to the pilot, Jeremy. <laughs> so um, uh, if that happens, or if there is a lot of sirens because there seems to be uh, a lot of uh, police and fire activity going on around my house too, I do apologize. So uh, before we get any further, uh, Pastor Glowicki, Jordan, Minnesota, which is just south of the Twin Cities, tell me where you're from, family, um, you know, where you're at right now, that kind of stuff. Well, I grew up in Michigan, um, son of a auto worker, you know, not really a lot of ministry in my, in my family. And then we, I went to MLS, Michigan Lutheran Seminary, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of my classmates uh, were headed off to Northwestern College as well. And at the time I was thinking, why not? <laughs> Maybe play a little football. Keep play a little the football. football yeah. Keep the football going. It was so an the, easy way to do that. And so Michigan Lutheran Seminary actually is a, a prep school in Saginaw, Michigan, and then Northwestern would have been um, a precursor to Martin Luther College, where our synod trains future pastors and teachers. So yeah, yeah. And I was in the last graduating class uh, from Northwestern College before the the merger with okay. Dr. Martin Luther College to make MLC and. Uh, so then continued on the, the traditional track through the seminary and uh, received a call to uh, exploratory restart in Portland, Maine. Okay. Spent three years out there until our synodical finances crashed mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, yeah. and then we were, we were one of the casualties of, of that. And then I, uh, that's what brought me to Minnesota. Um, took a call to St. John's in St. Paul on the east side of downtown and served there for eight years. And then a call to Jordan, Minnesota, and that Southwest Metro, and I've been serving there now for 10 years already. Okay. Yeah. And family? I have four kids. Um, we're hitting that period of very high activity in yep. our uh, family with my oldest uh, graduating from MLC this, this next spring, God willing, and uh, getting married also. And then I have a, a son who's, who just bought a house uh, at 20. Nice. And, uh, He's a, a diesel mechanic, and then I've got uh, two other daughters who are at Minnesota Valley Lutheran High School as well. So high school, sports, kids yeah. moving into new stages in their life. Right. It's been a very interesting period for us. Well, if you have one that's getting married and another 20 that's got uh, the, um, let's say, the gumption to buy a house and can make life, I, I would say you're two for two so far. Yeah. No, I, I'm very... <laughs> proud of where both of them are at and uh to have a 20 year old in a home yeah you know he bought a reasonable house yeah. and you know get rather than paying rent and sure i i'm thankful to his very disgusting roommates he had near the mankato state <laughs> campus that he finally said i just can't live like this <laughs> and decided for what i'm paying i can get a house so. sure so yeah it's it's been a very interesting period and of course keeping ministry going as well in uh times of a pandemic so it's Never a dull moment. Awesome. So we are. I'm. I'm glad that you came down here. Uh, Jeremy had some. We had. We had talked about this. I don't know months ago, and said, next time you're in Milwaukee, we'll talk brewing beer on the on the podcast. And so you emailed me a couple days ago and got some family stuff here. Um, I can only do Saturday morning. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what time it is right now that we're having beer. But as you said, it's it's after five o'clock somewhere. Somewhere. So, um, but we got we got the nice European, uh, three different cheeses, crackers, and some hard salami out here. We're doing it right. So we're going to be talking about uh, brewing beer, but also the connection to beer and history, and specifically the Reformation. I would imagine. Yep. And then um, 
for our free-for-all, uh, we're going to do something theological since you've been out about 20 years and uh, maybe I'm, I don't know where I am, 14, 15, something years out, um, that we would maybe just talk about not necessarily regrets. Um, this won't be a confessional, but what are the things that maybe if I went back, I would have done this earlier or I would have done this different? And uh, we do have a lot of young uh, seminarians and pastors that do listen, and I wonder if that would be beneficial for them. Uh, from not, not too, we're not, we're not OGs, we're not total old guys, but we're getting there. So maybe we can give some wisdom. The more I look around at uh, conferences and stuff like that, I realize that's the case. You are an OG, that's yes, right. Yes. So, and they're like, I don't want to go over there. He's going to talk about brewing the whole time, you know? <laughs> All right. So we'll be back with our free fall. Hello, we're back for our uh, free-for-all, and since we're going to be talking brewing in our main topic and the actual you know, content of brewing and stuff and its connection to history, specifically the Reformation history, we thought we'd do something uh, more intentionally theological or churchy uh, during our free-for-all, which is usually the opposite of what we do. So uh, since we got, uh, uh, you know, 35 years between us about there as being a pastor, I think that's enough that we can say, okay looking back what will we do to change so um i'll start it off and then and then you can go um i think i would have been more intentional with uh the kids that were in like kindergarten to fourth fifth grade so i did started doing uh catechism because we didn't we didn't really have many kids that were going to a parochial school we had a handful um they had to drive quite a bit and so mostly public school kids and so I expanded uh, catechism to be uh, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. And we had our preschool and uh, Sunday school and stuff like that. And the, the preschoolers and the young kids knew me. I had a relationship with them. But there was a gap there, you know. And, and before I left, I, I was starting to think about this. Like, what could I do, even if it was just once a month? Like, what could I do from 1st to 4th grade even? Like, just so that they know me. I'm not even talking about content, just so that they know me, right? So that I'm a part of their lives. I think that is one thing that I probably would have thought about and started earlier. Got something? Yeah, I, you know, I've been in a couple of different ministry settings, you know, from a, from an exploratory restart where you had just a few people and you were trying to make this thing that had grown and shrunk mm -hmm. to kind of grow again. And then... You know, in a in a urban setting in in St. Paul, a downtown, I mean downtown, a downtown yeah. urban setting, and um, also then now a little bit more ex-urb, not mm -hmm. suburb, but they're kind of merging, sure. so it right. won't be long. But right. you know, and I, I look back, you know, at my time even in Jordan right now. It, the, one of the interesting things I just and it took me a while to kind of realize this was the hardest group of people for me to win over was the kids that were just confirmed like mm -hmm. within the last few years by the last pastor yeah. and the ones that were kind of coming into confirmation class um it was tough to kind of get them to you know i followed a guy that had been there for 25 years mm -hmm. you know so for those kids they knew him from kindergarten all mm -hmm. the way through as as the pastor and then this new guy comes in mm -hmm. and uh i wish i would have like you said connected with them found a way to connect with them better mm -hmm. you know because that's that dangerous age where they're getting out of confirmation class and then we're starting to lose touch with them mm -hmm. as they go through uh they go through high school we know it's a problem but we've never really figured out a great sure. way to to address sure. that when these kids start to have all these different pulls in their life you know right. that are starting to come after them yeah and i think you know one of the the one of the reactions that certainly when when we were kids was let's see if the pastor can be cool and hip which is of course just going to backfire right um and and i thought more and more and, and, and i'm guilty of leaving <laughs> a parish but i thought when i was in the parish i thought there's something to be said for th there's reasons for a guy not to stay 30 years but there's some reasons for it too 
and you can take the kid that you baptized that you had connections with that you confirmed and you can pull him aside at 17 and go hey buddy let's you know get your butt in church you can have that kind of relationship where you don't have to like you said you don't have to win him over Right. You don't have to win them over because you're already, and I do like the father figure picture, right? You are already kind of a father figure where you can say, hey, I get it, man. I get it. I'm not going to come down hard on you a little bit. You know, how's life? That kind of thing. But, hey, you just give him a head nod and say, get your butt in church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Be, be connected here, okay? And some guys are just naturally better at connecting with the youth mm-hmm. than others. Mm-hmm. Not be, Not that they're bad people. It's just that they just have a natural way with them or with others, you know, the, like you said, the harder you try to be hip and cool, right. the more they're like, all right, this guy's, they can idiot. sniff out oh, yeah. authenticity. They can yeah. smell that a mile away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, stop trying to do that. Just be who you are. Right. But it's more about just, you know, making a connection with those kids. And I think, you know, not being afraid to just say, to a couple of them, hey, I, I'm going to the coffee shop here mm-hmm. in town. I'd, be, I'd love to buy you a coffee. Mm-hmm. Let's just go sit and chat, mm-hmm. you know. And so many things in ministry, like you talk about, you said you said regret. We're not going to use the word regret, but, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes we spend way too much time on things that don't matter. Maybe because they're easier or we can do them by ourselves or we don't we don't rely on other people to get them done. And we're proud of it. But in the long run, it really didn't mean a lot, mm-hmm. you know. You could, you know, the coolest looking bulletin in the world, mm-hmm. people are going to toss into the recycling bin, sure. you know, as soon as they walk out of church. And you maybe spent a few extra hours on that that maybe a maybe a shut-in could have used, mm-hmm. or maybe a maybe a high school kid could have used a, a phone call or a text mm-hmm. or something, you know. So maybe looking back at it, I, you know, how do we spend our time? Mm-hmm. As pastors, we can spend a, and and then even just missing out maybe on study, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to get then tied into the well. I need to go know my people, which I think is a is a really important aspect of your ministry. But if we're doing all of that and never being prepared to truly unfold God's word to them because we haven't been in the study mm-hmm. of that word, then I think we're. So, <laughs> yeah. is there a place where you can have more regrets than a pastoral <laughs> ministry as right. you look back or maybe just kind of view those different stages in your ministry where you thought, well, I could have done that better? Yeah, and I think that, I mean, th- this was one of my, I-, I would say, a strength and a weakness is that I can be hyper-organized. And it's a weakness because I can spend a lot of time organizing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but... I mean, there's a point there that if, if you, there's just a lost, there's just a lot of wasted minutes during the day. And I I remember uh, a friend of mine saying, and we were young pastors, but saying to an even younger pastor, just something off the cuff, like you start to figure out how to be productive in 15 minute increments. So I get 15 minutes between this meeting and that meeting. Um, That can be wasted or it can be, I could get that bulletin, half that bulletin done. Right. So. And I, when in the college situation, I have these freshmen and I often have to teach the introductory college course, like, you know, here's a pencil, <laughs> you know, like this is how you use a computer. You show up, for, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'll say everybody is on the spectrum of either an accountant or an artist, right? You know, somebody who is, you know, and, and, and in different places, you may be in, in different times, you may be on the dip t- part of the spectrum. And I'll say... Listen, I get you artist types that are, you know, you have just this brilliance that the rest of us are, are jealous about, but you couldn't plan a day out if it, you know, if, you, if it cost you your life. And the accountant type, you know, I just want to kind of say, you know, maybe chill out a little bit and have some fun, right? So, and just to say to especially the artist type person or the person who's just kind of just can't get on time, whatever, is like, Force yourself to do that, not because the world is forcing you to be less creative or forcing something upon you, but so that you can then be creative guilt-free. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, get up early Monday morning and do all the crap that you hate to do, (laughs) you know, and then just let it go, let it fly for the rest of the week and go see people and work on your sermon and work on all those kinds of things. Like, 
what's my weakness here? I got to force myself to do that. And the accountant person who is constantly just planning everything and micromanaging say, okay, all of Friday, all of Friday is not going to be planned. And it is going to be, here's some books, here's some articles. Some of those guys probably should go down a internet rabbit hole for a little bit and figure out what people are thinking and let that mind go a little bit. And I think you'd be more creative in your teaching and preaching. Yeah. No social media till after lunch. There you go. You know, get, get, get some exegesis done. Um, review the lessons, all the lessons for the, the Sunday, relearn their context, you know, and then learn what's going on in the world, yeah, <laughs> you know, a little right. bit later in the day. Yeah, there is a sense of discipline there that um, even if you're not that type of person that's attracted to that, take, to take a look at that and say the discipline actually helps me be this creative, free-willing type. Yeah, schedule that day. I mean, you know, I used to do, when I was at St. John, I did more like random shut-in visits. Mm. And when I came to Jordan, the pastor before me had already set up third Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And same secretary, you know, mm-hmm. from when he was there to when mm-hmm. I came and she kind of, for, she was very organized and she kind of, you know, said, well, this is what, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Really appreciative of that mm-hmm. because the more random I scheduled them, the, the less likely I was, you know, it's getting a little late. Maybe right. I just won't get into that one. Right. Whereas right. I'm like today is shut-ins. I do this and this and this and this and yeah. this. And you just, and then that sense of accomplishment when you were finished <laughs> with them, you know, because you had you had met with those people they needed you to to be there to come to see them and to share god's word with them and and you did it and you could move on to the next thing you know that so that was nice to have that more routine-ish of a few things and i I think there's there's much more in my ministry i could do routine-ish like that i probably need to get into that yeah i had mine was the third thursday and i had uh, multiple services at different uh um, nursing homes too i called it geriatric thursday tomorrow's geriatric thursday i leave at like you know nine in the morning and i come back at five and it's just going to be all wonderful old people <laughs> so yeah i mean there, i think there's some efficiency there and then not to think oh i'm i'm in this drudgery and i got to do this or whatever to say no that makes your friday better that makes your friday uh the creative part of you that 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 you need to be as a pastor right you need to be creative in your thinking um and how you say things and and like i said sometimes you do need to go down an internet rabbit hole um just to get your mind wrapped around some stuff yeah how do i how do i how do i prepare my people who are hearing these things or whatever and and to shine some light on that yeah yeah absolutely All right, that was probably good enough. Let's get to Luther and beer. for our main topic here with Pastor Jeremy Glowicki of St. Paul, right? St. Paul's? St. Paul's in Jordan. In yep. Jordan, Minnesota. And we're talking uh, brewing beer and probably a little bit of uh, Martin Luther too. And so I don't know where you want to start, but maybe maybe let's actually start with your Luther brew. Just tell me what, what, you, what you do with that. And um, uh, I'm I am not a connoisseur, but I am a little bit of a... I'm like, I'm not a wine snob or a coffee snob, but I'm kind of a beer snob. But I don't know all of my... um, Certainly don't know my chemistry about all of this. And um, so tell me about this Luther brew that you do, and then maybe your whole just how you got started in brewing and stuff like that. Sure. Maybe I'll start with how I got started. Um, So when I came came to St. Paul, well, you know, like 
back in the day, you know, when we were going through seminary and stuff like that, there weren't a lot of choices in beer. Um, I'll, I'll say my my go-to beer in those days was Red Dog, if you remember that from the old, the old Milwaukee brew. I do. Yeah, and uh, so then we when we moved out to Portland, Maine, you know, that was an early area of some craft beer things with uh, uh, Gritty McDuff's Brew Pub out there, and so somehow I, I stumbled on their Best Brown, and I would you know get a six pack of that here or there and um when i moved to st paul uh one of my members there said uh he was a chairman actually and he said hey i i brewed this beer at this brewery in town so i'm gonna give you some okay i'm a new pastor there somebody really nice yeah yeah i'll take it you know give it to me and um we had some experience at the seminary with a classmate it was an early mr beer kit and uh if you remember my classmate Tim Schwartz, if you remember that name, he uh, he made some beer. Um, I will not say whether it was in the seminary dormitory or not, but uh, um, and it was awful. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. So when somebody gave me this beer that they made, I was I was highly skeptical. Yeah. You know, like bathtub gin kind right. of stuff, and and so I never opened it. And uh, he kept bugging me. He's like, hey, did you try that beer? Did you try that beer? No, no. Did you try that beer? No, I just didn't get to it yet. You know. And eventually he caught on, and he's like, you're not going to drink it, are you? <laughs> he goes, it's probably not good anymore anyway. So um, he's like, no, you got to come over to this place. So um, I went over to this. It's, it, this place is still in St. Paul. It's called Vine Park Brewery. And it is one of the only or very few brew-on-premises breweries that i'm aware of so you can go in and they provide all the ingredients and the coach and then you brew uh on their kettles and i was actually there just this past tuesday i take a group of about nine guys from church down and we make three recipes okay. um i don't need it but i like to take them and we sure. have a good time together you know a little fellowship and bonding um so after doing that for a number of times at vine park i just thought well that's not that hard there's got to be a way to do it at at home if you wanted to and so i started looking online and sure enough (laughs) and as fate would have it uh two we had two local homebrew stores in minneapolis st paul to go get ingredients and stuff like that from so then i started getting into it uh at home brewing at home in what's called extract so a lot of the hard work is done for you you pour malted barley extract into hot water and you add hops and you boil it and you put yeast in and you wait for it to get done and that's about it you know as they say if you can make macaroni and cheese you can make beer in the extract <laughs> method um and so after doing that then for a, a number of years, I decided to take the next step into the all-grain process, so just starting with the malted barley itself. And so I'd say all in all, I've probably been brewing for about 15 years. Um, and uh, still some beers turn out better than others. <laughs> right. So um, so the, you, you, you keep referring to the Luther beer. Yes. Like, so tell me about that. So I, I do really enjoy historical styles um, and the fact that you know luther has so much to say about beer makes it very interesting especially if you're you know a student of the reformation and i really enjoy reformation history and uh so i found out or learned through research that luther really enjoyed a, a beer from einbeck germany which was also in saxony but a little little ways away um and but close enough to ship mm-hmm. you know the barrels and things and and it's the beer that um he received a a keg of shall we call it or a barrel for his wedding um, and then he also, rumor has it, was given uh, some Einbeck beer while he was in his deliberations at Worms, you know, mm-hmm. after the emperor had given him the, the night to think about things. And right. Unfortunately, people like to say, well, the beer was his liquid courage for, uh, <laughs> for doing that. And, but um, we, we know better than that, that it was time and prayer and his work and the word that, you know, helped him, the Holy Spirit, of course, and the confidence that he could come out and, and take that stand against uh, recanting his works. But... So that, that got me curious, and uh, fortunately we, we do know basically what the beer was like, uh, just from historical records. Two-thirds uh, barley malt and one-third wheat malt. Um, we know it was straw, yellow in color, uh, fairly bitter, which helped to, uh, help to prolong its, its life um, in those days without pasteurization and so forth. Um, so I set out to, to kind of recreate that, got some German... German wheat malt, German barley malt, uh, and um, from from legit Germany, like there's a yeah, 
There's yeah, there's there's maltsters that that ship all over the world. Weiermann is one of the ones, or Weiermann, uh, that comes in from Germany, and they have a they have a little bit of a more of an heirloom or an older style uh, malt called Barca, uh, Barca Pils, um, Barca Munich, uh, are different kilns of that malt, and so I used I used the Barca Pils in this particular beer, um, and uh, you know. People say, I really wish I could have the beer in Luther's Day. You 99% would probably not like it. Right. <laughs> it's just not going to be what you're expecting. Um, it's going to be sour-ish. Um, there's going to be some flavors that you might consider an off flavor, something off-putting to you. Um, just because they didn't have the yeast propagation that we do, um, a lot of it was done a little more wild. Um, different things would get into the beer while it was fermenting that would add to that character. So... You know, we always think the old recipes are the best. This recipe is great because it's grandma's recipe. Right, right. Just because it's old doesn't make it a good recipe. Sure. And so, but, so this is kind of a, we'll call it a modern version of it. It's clean. Mm-hmm. You know, it. I use a German ale yeast uh, that finishes pretty clean. As you saw, it dropped pretty clear, you mm-hmm. know, in the glass. Um, and so it, you know, it turned out pretty well. It's just kind of a fun connection to the history of the Reformation, sure. um, even though it, it pro- likely takes tastes nothing like you right. know what it did right. in the day. Um, it's almost impossible to recreate that. But it, just using those ingredients and just kind of building off that tradition is kind of fun to say. Yeah, this is a beer that Luther really enjoyed. Yeah, and so we had talked off off radio about uh, you know uh, when Luther refers to beer, he often refers to the town. Yes. Right or to Katie's beer, right? So, what right. you what you a uh, uh, comment on both of those things? Yeah, it you know he, he often when he writes in his letters back to Katie, you know he'll he'll talk about you know how things are going. Um, he'll wish love for the kids and and for Lord Katie or whatever he prefers to call her at the moment, and uh, he'll often say you know the beer here is really good. You know mm-hmm. the. Uh, the beer in in uh, Mansfeld or wherever wherever it happens to be. So you know, most of these towns had like a town brewery, even though there was still a lot of home brewing going on. There was kind of a town brewery in each of these places, and so um, he would often comment on the beer there. This one was particularly good. This one was tough on my chest. He mentions one hmm. time because of the pitch, and we're not 100% sure what that what, meant, what yeah. that might be. Yeah. Um, it seems like maybe they had pitched their barrels. Okay. On the inside of the barrels or the outside, and it had kind of gotten into the beer. But one thing for sure, Leipzig beer was garbage. <laughs> that we know, because uh, even Katie mentions how awful the beer from Leipzig yeah. is. So they, they didn't care for that one. But and he has sweet talk to his wife that he misses her. Yes, his, her yes. beer. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know there was a there was an interesting uh, YouTube uh, channel called Beer by the Numbers, and they did a he did a Martin Luther and beer kind of look. Um, on this on this particular page, and one person commented on his video and said, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if we had Katie Luther's recipe?" And I'm like, "We do: <laughs> wheat, malt, barley, malt, water, and yeast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and some hops." So, um, even though even there though, Luther even comments about like some of her batches not turning out so well, right. you know, in some of his right. letters. So it, it was a homebrew and not a not a perfect science. Sure, you know? sure. And I think that, you know, when we in our modern American uh, situation, you know, beer is something that you only do, like we said, after five o'clock or, or whatever. Um, but for a vast amount of history, including early American history, just because of the lack of uh, ability to get to fresh water beer was definitely a staple um not only that but uh the nutrients there right uh uh, giving it to pregnant women right in in ireland and in germany for sure um you know it's just so the when we're talking about and luther is going to say he's going to say germans have a taste for beer that's not healthy <laughs> right this is this, he, he does rail against drunkenness i don't think luther don't, we don't want to make it sound like luther was lush here i don't i don't think he was but uh we we reference an np uh, our article that we, we'll eventually get to uh, a couple years ago about luther and brewing but uh one guy made a point that say beer is so common it was kind of like the the uh um a, a cup of coffee that was the, the coffee is always brewing in the kitchen of a family. Right. Right. And so there's always, there's always a, a barrel of beer or there's always a, a whatever around there. So, uh, it's hard for us to understand the cultural connection to beer that not just Germans, but 
people in the past had. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's interesting in the last 20 years how attitudes about beer and brewing have changed. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, for sure, you know, you didn't you didn't mention beer at church or if you were a pastor necessarily, you wouldn't want people to know that you <laughs> brew beer, <laughs> brew beer or drank beer, you know. And um, now you've got things like, you know, brewery Bible studies going on, you know, and things like that. So the attitudes have definitely changed in America. Um, but I think it's important. Like you said, sometimes people try to paint Luther as like a big drunk. I mean, a mm-hmm. huge drunk. And you read articles about that too online. And, and that's another thing I'm trying to kind of educate on is there's a lot of stuff online that makes massive assumptions that we right. don't have. He had many vices, before. but alcohol and women were not one of them. Right. And he even mentions to to Katie in a letter and says, you know, he talks about the beer of the town. You're like, hey, the beer here is, is really good and it's actually helping me physically, you know. Uh, he was having some issues in the old plumbing department and, and he, he credited the beer, whether that was true or not, uh, for helping him um, in that. But he, he, he often... Re- refers to Katie and says, you know, but I'm sober, just like in Wittenberg. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. Just in case Katie was worried that uh, maybe he's overindulging a little too much there. But he's pretty clear on on his views on drunkenness. Mm -hmm. And and let's not paint him out to be perfect. Right. You know, there were probably some times around the table talk table where he had maybe maybe should have stopped one sooner. But uh, he definitely speaks clearly about that in his writing. Um, and it's interesting, too. I thought maybe you were going this direction, but, you know, the Reinheitsgebot, the German purity laws, mm-hmm, they call mm-hmm. it for beer. There were different iterations of it earlier, but 1516, you know, kind of that year before the Reformation year kind of date um, is, is when it was kind of codified a little bit more in, in Bavaria. But um, Luther talks a lot about the fact that, you know, we can't drink all of our wheat. We have to make food with some of this stuff, too. So... Um, some people like to say, well, the Reinheitsgebot, where br- beer could only be malt, hops, water, and we say yeast, but the first one did not include yeast because they didn't really understand okay. or know exactly what was going on with that. So it was those three ingredients. Now it's been expanded to those four ingredients. But, you know, many, many beers, including the Einbeck beer, had an amount of wheat in there as well. And... You know, Luther makes the point that we can't we can't drink all of our our food that we need. So some of this has to be made into bread and you know other staples that that we need. And uh, some say the early Reinheitsgebot was about protecting the food supply. Really, you know, yeah. so that people weren't eat, they weren't drinking all of their yeah. all of their food. Nowadays, it's more of a marketing sure. ploy. Like sure. if a beer says this is brewed according to the Reinheitsgebot, right. well, great. So is most other beers. Right. So, right. you know, but that that originally went back 1200s, 1300s when I mean there was purity laws. Yeah, right. Which is fascinating to us because we in our modern chauvinism we think that's only came after the enlightenment right Right, you know but uh there was um this is going to be a pure product and 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 legit product too yeah what's interesting that's kind of a misnomer is what's pure i mean today we talk about organic you know is organic better than whatever is that more pure if the if the grain was coming from the field, if the water was coming from the well, you know, I mean, it's, it's pure in that sense mm-hmm. that it's, so it was also about, you know, that, that, that beer was just made with those ingredients. I want to say this is pure beer because it's made with these three or four ingredients. Nowadays you go to your local brewery and you might find, well, we have a Saison that has cucumber, mm-hmm. you know, melon, a little bit of hosta mixed in with some <laughs> lemongrass, you know, this right. is an amazing beer. And, um, but the Reinheitsgebot was to say, this is what beer, it's for leg- us, this is what beer really is. It's legitimate, m- much like, I mean, it's not a direct parallel, mm-hmm. but if you're in France and you're going to have wine that's called Champagne, it better be I have made, been made right. in Champagne. Right. Uh, Parmesan cheese in Italy is made in Parma. Right. <laughs> it's not a style. Right. It's made necessarily, it's made in Parma. Yeah. Because there is, there's, there's local environmental uh, things at play here, right? Which you can't just artificially manufacture, right? There's terroir. Th- yeah. A thousand miles away or exactly. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So tell me about what, um, uh, I, I did a whole lot of research this morning. <laughs> I read one article. Um, and, and then it happened to come up, uh, before we went on, on, on the air here about the whole hops and is it Gruet? 
Yes. Yes. So tell me that story and tell me where you think maybe the conventional wisdom lately in the last few years is maybe gone too far. Well, the fact that that was the first article that popped up in your extensive research says something. Says something about, you know, how that is getting out there if anybody searches Lutheran beer. And because of the 500th of the Reformation, it got to be a popular thing as well as the growth of craft brewing. But so the, the article makes the, this tries to make this historical point that um, at because the Catholic Church at the time had a monopoly on Gruet. And what Gruet was. Which was, right, right away I'm like. How did they have a monopoly on this? I don't. Yeah, that seemed to be an assumption. I'm still digging into that a bit too myself, and it's it's a tough trail to follow. But um, so Gruet was what was used instead of hops, or in place of hops, or before hops. And I say it those three different ways because the 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 two things were being used simultaneously at some times. But so Gruet was this mixture of awful sounding things that you would never think of eating like bog myrtle and yarrow and uh just all these other disgusting you know you get that creeping charlie in your yard that you're just trying to get rid of trying to find a spray to get rid of that is uh that can go into bittering beer as well so these gruet mixtures were proprietary um they didn't all grow in the same areas so some shipping had to be done to get those those products and at the time somehow and i wish i knew more of the history at this point it's, it's time for more research the catholic church allegedly had a monopoly on on gruet and the allegedly there were Gruet houses where you would go and purchase your supplies, your Gruet supplies to, to make the beer. And so they, and that was technically ale. Gruet's made ale. Although it's a little bit of a misnomer too, because we often differentiate ale and, and, and lager today because by the yeast, lager yeast versus ale yeast to ferment the beers. But it would have been Gruet ales, um, Ale Hoofer, I think was the name of the Creeping Charlie for the day um, mm. that they would use in there. And so what the article says was a, another way that Luther and the Reformers really wanted to stick it to the Catholic Church is they promoted the use of hops uh, over and against the monopoly that the Catholic Church had on, on Gruet. I have found no primary source information that I've discovered. Now I'm, I'm only, I've just gotten started on the Weimar edition of Luther's <laughs> works, um, which is like a full German right, version right. that I would never be able to read. Um, but I have not found anything that where that was promoted to say, let's just stick it to the church by breaking their monopoly on, on Gruet by using hops. Hops had been around and been used in beer for a long time. Even in Hildegard uh, von Bingen, who was an abbess back in the 12th century, had written about hops um, in her day. She was kind of a Renaissance woman. Yep, she yep. was involved in a lot of different things. and Amazing woman, yeah, quite frankly. Yeah, very much so. Um, and she, she wrote about the fact that hops were not a good idea because they created melancholy. So <laughs> it made it made men, you know, lazy and sure. and tired and stuff like that. And so Well yes, but not well, for right. melancholy yes, yes. <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> yes. So she she did, had said let's let's stay away from using hops and, and but that didn't stop people from using hops, but it was kind of it got to be kind of this attitude of the day and whether the church grabbed onto that and said, Well then let's get a monopoly on Gruet, you know. Yeah. It, it's hard to say. The the histories there are tough to track. But beers have been made in the thirteen hundreds with hops in it. So it's not like that was a brand new thing in fifteen seventeen to say, That's it, no more beer with Gruet. You know, it should all be made with hops and that's really gonna show the Catholic Church and the Pope, you know, where we're at. So that's gotten to be popular on the internet. I'm not sure we can say with certainty that that was actually happening. And you've been in Luther's writings, and I have too. Yeah. I've never seen anything no. where that's been a promotional piece. Right. Like, to the Christian nobility on the use of right. bittering agents in beer, you know, it's not one of Luther's 1520 theses. Right, and I, I just, it, it seems, it just seems, it would seem out of character for, Luther and the other ones to get into the details of that. You know, you want to talk Philip of Hesse or what? You know, maybe they discuss that, but yeah, I'm Though, not sure that there was a it was a. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you, in the history, okay, we're going from Luther and the Ninety Five Theses then to the Peasants' Revolt, and uh, it seems to be bigger issues to deal with. Yeah. Luther would go, travel somewhere, try to put out fires 
um, preach and teach theologically, have a beer of the local town, get some rest, hopefully feel better, and, and yeah. go home to Katie eventually yeah. is kind of his. And, and he would deal with other issues, you know, local issues that would have been non-theological. But, yeah, I'm not aware of anything that, I mean, he, you know, he later in his life he's dis- uh, dealing with uh, um, mining rights, you know, like whatever. Um, and so it's not like he wouldn't have have done that. But like you said, there's no real, there's not a letter that says, hey, I'm, I'm talking about the, there is a, there is a dispute about uh, the brewing industry, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> right? I mean, we actually probably would have had a record of that, yeah. right? So that's interesting. It seems to me that maybe somebody just said, oh, I noticed this, and then jumped to a conclusion, maybe. There's an old, old history of brewing book that I have yet to get my hands on that I think starts the rumor. Okay. And I'd like to try to see if... And one of the problems with Luther's scholarship is you find a lot of things attested to him, but Mm -hmm. no no attestation of where did that come from. And so it's really hard to track down. You know, if if you're a a Rick Steves fan, if you like, you know, Mm -hmm. travel shows, if Mm -hmm. you've seen those, he does an episode on the the Reformation, talks about Luther and beer. And he makes reference to Luther having the nickname King of Hops. Hmm. I can't, find, can't find that anywhere. I have no idea where that come from. And believe me, I have tried. I have tried very hard and I this, cannot. This is your life's goal. Someday you're going to write an article, you know, that's going to be published in either a brewing magazine or a Lutheran, Lutheran digest. When Forward in Christ really takes a turn for the worse, you'll see my article there. Like this is my, this is Jeremy's life's goal. That's right. But you know, the, the funny thing about academia is that's how it actually works. Like somebody... Somebody looks for something their whole life to try to figure this out, and that that's that's a contribution, yeah. right? So uh, Lutheran Brewing, I look forward to your book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's home brewing is really growing in our synod. You know, and I I am I only live in a small slice of it. You know, sure. but a lot of people that I've run into are really really getting involved or have a desire to get involved in home brewing. Um, there's some people that say, why should I homebrew? I can go to the store and there's a mile long aisle of every kind of beer that you could want. And if that's all you want, then just go buy it from the store. If you like crafting something, you know, if you like taking some time and putting some, some work into it, if you like, um, mixing ingredients together and seeing what comes out the other end, you know, if you like creating something that maybe is unique to you or that you can't get your hands on, you know, homebrewing can be a lot of fun in, in that area. And you, you tend to get a lot of friends that way too. Cause the, you, people say, what do you do with five gallons of beer? Well, you got to give some away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm oftentimes just looking for the, ne- the next one. Then I'm like, okay, that one sure. is done and it tastes really good. What am I going to brew next? You yeah. know, and the Luther beer is one of the only ones I brew regularly okay. other days i'm all across the board in, in styles and sometimes i'm on english style beers sometimes i'm on german style beers um and so I, i'm really excited to see where homebrewing might go with and i'm trying to figure out you know how do you start a little homebrewing group of yeah. synodical people <laughs> and i'm sure there's people around our synod somewhere that are better than i am even at it yeah. for sure um but another cool aspect you know there's a few breweries that have opened up in the United States that are, are Luther themed. Oh, really? They do a terrible job at it, but they're Luther <laughs> themed. Um, one is in Georgia. I think it's called Reformation Brewery. Huh. And then there's another one that was in Toledo, Ohio, which had the coolest name. I was so jealous because if I was going to open a brewery, I would call it the Black Cloister. Oh, sure. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they went out of business, so they shut down there in Toledo. So maybe the name's available there you go, now. The Black, can, I, you know, I wonder if there's, is, yeah, the Black Cloister would be would have been a good one, um, or the uh, what's the the pub in England, the the White Horse Inn. The White Horse would have been a yeah. good one. So there is some history, and I was going to mention this. Uh, you know, besides Reformation history, I mean. Winemaking, brewmaking, I mean, all of these kinds of industries, you can't, if you get into it, you can't help but get sucked into history. Yeah. Right. Right. So maybe, maybe if you want to say something about that, like, you know, we're not just a bunch of, you and your, you're not getting together with a bunch of your friends just to, to do something. It's not, this is not Monday night football kind of thing. I mean, there is, you're getting pulled into 
gastronomy, you're getting pulled into, but you're also getting pulled into history. So the history of beer, if I said, Jeremy, the history of beer, what is the first couple things that come to mind and, and the different things in history that have, have uh, uh, cross lines with brewing? Well, ancient, yeah, ancient comes to mind because, yeah. you know, Egypt fermenting right. yeah. of beverages has been going on for a long time. Um, how exactly, you know, did somebody leave some wet bread out too long and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it fermented and cause there, there is beer, the, uh, canals or cavas. I can't remember exactly how it's referred to, but they use, they use actually old bread in the brewing process, yeah. but you know, how that came about, who knows, but you know, whether it was a part of the, the technology and ability that God built into, into humanity, um, as he, he created Adam and Eve and then down through the generations, uh, as they, you know, we kind of look back and how, man, how'd they figure that out? You know, right. we think of these as like dumb old people that were created and now they got to like, how they learn all these things that they're right. doing, smelting, you know, and right. all this stuff that we, we can't do today, right. you know, you and I, and they our figured mo- it our out. Our modern chauvinism of everybody's dumber that just because they were older right. is just right. not true. Yeah. So, so at some point they figured it out and, and, you know, brewing, brewing has just continued in, in different forms, whether it's wine, like you said, or or beer um, throughout history. And so many times, uh, you know, those styles and things that we developed down today were developed because of the location, the place in which they were developed in. And, you know, that we're learning a lot more historically too, that, you know, places we thought might've been more wine oriented were actually more beer oriented cool. as we learn more about, more about history, um, Greece and Rome, you know, also come really? to mind, you, you think Italian, you think, you know, sure. wine and so forth, but the, they, they did, it was definitely a high, higher percentage of wine, you know, importance in, in Italy and Greece. And as, as the Romans conquered, you know, East and started to get into the lands that we know of as, you know, Germany and Austria and those areas today, they, they were somewhat critical of their, you know, of their beer and the things cool. that they made. But, uh, uh, eventually, um, it seems like history showing us that uh, started to then also take some of that back with them, you know, as they, some of these soldiers had to live on these frontier lands for, for a long, long time. Sure. Um, and like you said, it was, you know, these fermented beverages also provided a, a more safer beverage for people to drink because of the water situations. And Yeah, I can, uh, how's the phrase go in... In beer, there is freedom. In wine, there is truth. And in water, there is bacteria. That's correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. No, the, the history of it, you know, does span the history of the world. And, you know, you hear about these stories of them finding these pots and able to kind of dig out some crust that was in the bottom and analyze it mm-hmm. and kind of figure out what what they were made of. But, again, we just we just can't reproduce it because the, the growing conditions were different. The terroir was different. The you know, the, the types of grains that they were using were different. And nowadays we have, we talk about modified grains where we can get sure. so much more out of them than, than they were able to, even our ancestors, you know, brewing at Budweiser or mm-hmm. Miller, you know, we have so much better grain that we can extract those sugars from than, than mm-hmm. they had back then. And so I, I am curious, I don't know if you know the answer to this, you know, Germany and, and, and maybe England as well, um, in the Czech Republic, you know, those are three areas where I think, oh, they know how to brew beer. But, of course, the truth of the matter, it's all over the world historically. It's not like Germans invented beer or whatever. So is it the ingredients? Is it, um, I mean, what, what, what is it that makes this kind of a European thing when really it's not? Yeah. Well, it, it comes down to practice. You know, they were at it so much earlier than we were you know here in in our country and so over time they developed the the practices they developed the the technology the know-how to brew at a much higher level um and that we should appreciate um but the other part of it that impacts people brewed with what they had and in in pilsen you know they learned that they could brew a, a light a very light, crisp, you know, lager because the water was conducive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, in America, we run into so many hard water situations, like your water's as hard as a rock. We have water softeners, you know, in everybody's mm-hmm. house. You can make a, a good dark beer with that, but mm-hmm. to make something light, very difficult. Hmm. 
very difficult. So, um, you know, not only do they have the history on their side, they learned over years and years and years and years how to perfect this, but then they also, they brewed the beer they could brew the best. And so they weren't making porters and stouts and English style bitters and, um, uh, pale ales and IPAs, you know, not every region was brewing all of those things like we're used to today. You walk into a brew pub and you're like, well, should I have the IPA, the stout, the porter, the sour, <laughs> you know, in those areas, they brewed what brewed best yeah. with the ingredients that they had. And then they perfected that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, you know, a Munich Hellas is a great example of the style generally. That's why, you know, getting a Dortmunder export from Dortmund is great example of a style because they invented the style. Sure. They had the right ingredients. They had the right chemistry in their water. They had all of those things necessary to brew it. And they figured that out. Yeah. And then they perfected it. Sure. So let me, uh, we, got, we, get, we have a little bit of time left. I want to ask you uh, two bigger questions. One is... Um, okay, what's your favorite, what, what are the styles of beers that you brew and what is your, what's the, the most enjoyable to brew? And then the separate question is, you know, what is, what, what is your, what is your palate like the best? What kind of style of beer? Not necessarily your beer, 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 but, but maybe another style of beer or another brand out there. So start with your own brewing experience. Well, you know, the process is so sim so much similar with s all the beers mm -hmm. generally. You know, you're just talking about different kilns of malt. You know, it takes a tiny little bit of darker kin malt to make a great Irish red <laughs> outside of just your your base malts. You would make a yellow beer, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so the process is so similar The that, uh, you know, to say one is, is fun to brew. For me, it's all about the end product. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mix these things together and the recipes are different because of that. And out the end is going to come this particular beer. It's a bag of grain when you start, mm -hmm. but as you're, as you're going through the process, all of a sudden that, that wort that's coming out of the tube, the clear tube is, is a beautiful red hue, you know, and it was just a bag of yellow grain when <laughs> you started or that it's coming out black as night you know, as you're making a porter or a stout and you're starting to see that process all work and you can see the, what's going to be the end result of it starting to happen, the color. I mean, have you ever grabbed your beer glass of a particular style and just kind of held it up sure. and just looked at like the copper color or the, maybe you grabbed an Oktoberfest that's a little more on the amber and you just kind of held it up and, and looked at the color there. And so all those things that go into the process make it a lot of fun to kind of work towards that end. So for me, any particular style, you know, my palate, I, I, I am a hop head. Mm -hmm. I will take an IPA any sure. day. I love hops. Um, not everybody does. Yeah. And, and people sometimes say, well, that's a hoppy beer. Well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Is it bitter? Yeah. Or does it have a lot of hop flavor and aroma? Those are different things, you sure. know? And so I love hop flavor. I love hop aroma, but I'd love an, a, what we would call an old West Coast IPA, which yep. is a little more bitter. Um, but I love... I love all styles pretty much, although I'm not a huge sour fan. Uh, I'm I have trouble with Belgian wheats. Not yeah. a fan. Not a the, fan. The Belgian wit beer. Yeah, yeah. Not the, a fan. Is it the coriander and orange, or you just don't like this phenolic of the yeast? If there's a spiciness? if there's a wheat kind of thing, if if my beer, I I don't know if this is accurate or not, but if it seems that the one the cloudier the beer the less I like less it. you like it okay yeah and I don't know if that's because of the wheat or it's because of yeah the cloudiness comes from the wheat quite a bit yeah. um and and as I said the, this one has wheat in it but you saw it was pretty clear this the yeah. Luther beer when, yeah. when I poured it um and that sometimes has to do with the yeast as well some sure. yeasts will stay up into suspension more especially okay. in wheats so you get the cloudiness from the wheat and you'll get the cloudiness from the uh the yeast sometimes but that can leave a little bit of a, a flavor there from the yeast that maybe you're not enjoying yeah like uh everybody loves blue moon i i can't stand it and it, the, i i don't know if it's that yeah. that's because there's just an, a little bit of that in it blue or? moon is an americanized yeah kind of belgian wit beer right and when i say americanized we usually palate it down a little bit sure. for uh for pretty plain palates right a true belgian wit i i think is an excellent summer beer yeah. but again i always tell people you know if you don't like my beer you don't like it but do you not like it because it's 
it's poorly done. Right. Or it's just not your favorite not style. Not your favorite style. Yeah. Right. You know. And, and so it seems to me that you are more of a, okay, here's the ingredients, adjust the ingredients, um, all styles are good, rather than the type of person who is, I'm going to make something new, right? I'm going right. to put in, like you said, cucumber and stuff like that. I mean, would, would that be an accurate de- depiction? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I you know. And do you hate people that try? To <laughs> no, I you know I somebody gave me one recently that was the color of of pink lemonade, <laughs> and I it was from a local brewery in in St. Paul, and uh, no, because number one a what style is this even you know? And I'm not super huge on it's got to fit into a pigeonhole necessarily, sure. but. Why, you know, and if your ingredient list gets to like outside of your, your malt, water, hops, and yeast, I'm not opposed to adding other things into it, but if your list gets to be more than three, (laughs) this is probably just, you're just throwing the kitchen sink at it and hoping for something good. But no, I, I like all styles. Sours are not my favorite, but there are a lot of people that really like sours, but it's just it's just not my area that I, I really enjoy. I can drink one, but I'm just not going to go out of my way to do it. Oh. For people that want a homebrew, I always tell them, if you want a homebrew because you, you love IPAs, I mean, you want hop aroma and flavor, um, and you, you, and they're expensive. You know, if you've seen like a four pack running in the, you know, $14 range or something like that for, for a beer, sometimes homebrewing can be less expensive. So you can brew more of a particular one that you like, but hoppy beers are really hard to make in the homebrew scale. They, they, if, if people love hoppy and that's how they're going to get started because they love hoppy, I always tell them don't brew, buy your hoppy beers and brew an Irish red or a nut brown mm. ale or something like that. Mm. They're very forgiving styles, and you can still enjoy your hoppy beers from somebody that really knows what they're doing to make them. Too many home brewers I've seen just walk away disappointed. They quit after a couple of batches because they can't make their favorite <coughs> IPA. Sure, You could eventually get there, but it takes a lot of work yeah. because the hops are so finicky mm. and oxygen becomes a huge factor if you're getting oxygen into the mix and you're talking about brewing in buckets you right. know in your kitchen right. not in a closed system in sure. a brewery somewhere so it can be done you can make good hoppy beers at home but you got to cut your teeth on some of the easier styles to make but some of those are some of the nicest too who doesn't want to sit by a fire with a nut brown ale <laughs> you know i mean it's just a great style for sure. that time and the beautiful brown color in the glass so how many batches do you do a year uh that's a good question and, and probably I'm, a dozen and i'm assuming that that you have made not necessarily a cycle but this the luther beers in early fall right yeah I mean, do you yep. do you have like a i do brew seasonally yeah so i'm going to be thinking ahead for summer and saying you know what what kind of a, a lighter cleaner crisper beer might i want to have in the summertime and then you got to kind of plan back for that so it's mm-hmm. ready in time um so I, I brew seasonally, so I'm going to start getting into I, I brewed an Oktoberfest that is ready as well as the, the Luther beer. Um, in the winter, I might throw out a, a Scottish Wee Heavy, which is a tremendous style of beer. Um, but it's it's a sipper, you know, <laughs> it's a sipper. Uh, but that's great at the fireplace. That's great, you know, in a cold winter's evening, you know. So I like to brew seasonally, and that's why I don't often brew the same things. I also brew based on ingredients that I have on hand. Um, sometimes I'll get a extra load of hops or in, in the connections I've made in brewing, I end up with a lot of free stuff. So I, I don't want to waste either. I'm kind of a Yankee that way. So I want to, I want to use, uh, what I've got and not let it go to waste. So sometimes it's planned. Sometimes it's a little more spontaneous, but I probably do about a dozen batches a year, I would say. All right. So, um, give me your, your, your favorite local brewery but also your favorite um i'm not talking budweiser coors or whatever but like more like a summit yep some of those bigger names yep um that we would all be familiar with so you know maybe 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 this is a better way to say it what uh microbrewery that's not really a microbrewery anymore uh do you respect the most Some years ago, and it's still true to this day, I've I've always loved Surly, which yeah. you can get here in, in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and in Wisconsin. They were kind of one of the, besides Summit, 
um, one, they were kind of the edgy innovator of craft beer in the Twin Cities. And uh, so their Surly Furious is still an excellent example of a West Coast IPA. Really good beer. Um, like I said, they're edgy. You know, they've always, if you go to their website, I, I do not endorse everything their, they their say on their website. Is, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. They're, they're edgy. Um, but they, they made great beer early on. And, uh, and I kind of really enjoyed a lot of their things. I, I was really disappointed when they discontinued their Bender, which was an oatmeal brown. But I do have the recipe for that and is on the docket uh, to be brewed. Um, so I, I really enjoyed them. Um, and I know you can get it in the Twin City or in the in the Milwaukee area here if people are listening more locally. Um, Summit does great beer. Um, Shells has really upped their game. Yes, this over was the not last. when I was in college. No, no, they were they, their reputation was not great. They have really upped their game. Um, their Hefeweizen, I think, is one of the best examples of the style, you know, in the U.S. that you can get. Um, their Oktoberfest is excellent. Um, but actually, my, my kind of fallback beer, if, like, if I'm going to go something yellow, something, you know, mass-produced, Grain Belt, probably. Really? I, go, I go the Grain Belt Northeast. Really? I really like the Grain Belt Northeast. So, so, the, so uh, Shells and, and, and we're, we're talking southern Minnesota beers here. This yeah, is very local, yeah. yeah. No, that, you know, and the, the thing is, too, for consumers, you know, a lot of people like to like to brewery hop. I don't know. I do. I like to try different places and see what people are up to. And maybe people around Milwaukee with the number of breweries you have around here can do that, too. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer when you you go to one and you get a bad beer, mm-hmm. you know, because it's costing you seven bucks, <laughs> you know, plus tip, sure. you know, a pint nowadays. And uh, it's just kind of like, ah, you know, that's just not very good. And again, right. it's it's not necessarily that it's not a flavor that I would like, but it's not done well. You sure. know, they didn't do it. My wife and I were at uh, a brewery in uh, southern Minnesota uh, a couple weekends ago, and I ordered a, a really nice amber called an American amber. So obviously the color mm-hmm. is an amberish color, moderate bitterness, just a good drinking beer out on a patio heading into fall woefully undercarbonated. Mm. I mean, it was like drinking one that had been left on the counter for sure. a week, you know, and sure. it's like, you, you, it was, you were so close, so close right. to doing well. So there's some great breweries out there. And, and I would also encourage people, especially during this time of the pandemic, if you have a place you really enjoy, buy their stuff as best yeah, you can, sure. you know, because they're, they're going through some hard times trying to navigate tap room rules and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get their product out. So it's not prohibition, but it's probably one of the worst things since prohibition, I would imagine. Well, to have, it, to have an industry explode like that and then have, like, one of the worst possible things Fall you could have cliff. happen yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people put out a lot of money to get these started and, and probably go many years without making much, sure. you know, to do these. They are a labor of love. And uh, yeah. so if you really enjoy them, buy their stuff, you know, support yeah. them so that they can continue to do what they enjoy and you know, if this ministry thing doesn't work out, who knows? <laughs> you may be a little bit too late in the game to start. To <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah, this would be a this would be like a late life crisis if that were to happen. So I remember as a kid, we went out to um, Colorado and uh, for a vacation, and uh, we went to. It was advertised as the second biggest brewery in all of Golden, Colorado. So it wasn't Coors, and it was a guy in his garage. But he had a literally a, a literal vat, like you had. It was in his garage, and then he had like you could walk around there. That was there was just enough room in the garage that he could you could walk around this this vat or whatever. And I can't remember the name of it. This was early '90s or whatever. But uh, some people make a go of it. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> I think one of the lesser known breweries in the Twin Cities is Steel Toe Brewing, and they make excellent beer. <laughs> but they're not. They're not the one on the tip of everyone's tongue, you know. Sure. They're not some of the, the they're not the the biggest one that people talk about, but they make really good beer. And I did a tour there early on when they were getting started, and he had an old milk tank, hmm. you know, an old stainless steel sure. milk tank that he had converted into, you know, part of his equipment, and yeah. and he was making it work. He was making yeah, a really cool. good beer. So people make really good beer in a five gallon pail. You know, I've been in for 15 years. I still make beer in a five gallon pail. You, you know, some guys are investing in stainless three-tier systems sure. pumps i i built a gravity fed one so i can just let the liquid run the way they did it in the old days you yeah. know and so you can make really good beer in a bucket yeah and katie 
it seems like made really good beer in some type of a barrel. In some you know? sort of yeah, some sort of wooden bucket or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the maybe the one quote is we're probably getting towards the end. You know, the we hit the 500. The the Reformation. You know, Concordia produced these nice beer steins mm-hmm. for the for the the 500. And thought, you know, we don't have anything like that in our Wells catalog. What's wrong with us here? And uh, so I you could order exactly what they did on a different site. So I ordered up a bulk of them and I had our, our Wells logo on the one sure. side, the, the refer the 500 to yep. the reformation logo on there. Then the other side, I had them print Luther's quote. I did nothing. The word did everything while right. I sat around and, and drank beer with Amsdorf, you know, yeah. the word did everything. So that's printed on the other side of it. Um, and, uh, I, you know, when you talk about the, the, the connection between like beer luther the reformation and even just pastoral ministry mm-hmm. whether you're sitting around drinking a beer or not you know and if, if that's what you like to do do it and enjoy it moderately but just that reminder that we talked we started out talking about regrets in ministry or maybe things we would have done different and i think any pastor would say trust the word more trust the word more preach the gospel you're always going to be able to look down at your at your church and go, man, I wish that was better. I wish that was working better. Or why can't I get that going? Or how can I get more people to this or to that? But there's probably people that are there. And they're there to hear you share the word with them. And to trust the word to do its work. And then just sit back and let the word do it, you know. Yeah. keep Use your time wisely, as we talked about. Use it to share the word. Don't get distracted by too many different things. And so I always appreciated that quote you know, from Luther where he was just able to sit back and say, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. You know, this was about what the word was doing in this reformation. And I got to enjoy some beer with my friends and we had a good time and probably built each other up in those difficult times and just let God's word be unleashed and let the spirit be unleashed. Well, I don't think we should try to end in any other way. Cause that was pretty good. Uh, pastor Glowicki. So, um, we're going to end there. And I think, uh, that quote really is kind of similar to our tagline, of course, which is also a Luther quote that, you know, in gospel freedom, we are allowed to do these things. And when everything's done for us, when the, when the word of God has done everything, when Jesus Christ has done everything for us, there really is nothing left to do, but let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a janker I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down